Welcome back to Mechanical Freak from Seattle, that city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia. I'm Greg. I'm here with Brian. Hi, Brian. Hey, Greg. How's it going? You know, Colin is not here for the usual reasons of having like a family and the life and stuff. Uh, Munya, on the other hand, is held up, is being held prisoner by uh, Alaska Airlines. Is on the tarmac in a 787 Max with no pilot because they just ain't fucking going to work without a contract. <laughs> uh, I like to think that he's in that airport from the Langoliers and just uh, <laughs> waiting for the inevitable. I, no, I think he's it's more like he's like Tom Hanks in that Spielberg movie about the guy who's like stranded in the airport and can't leave because he's like uh, a tar- terminal man. Refugee. Terminal. Terminal man? Yeah, that sounds right. Sure, why not? Yeah. I don't great. know. Cool. I I celebrate Tom Hanks' entire catalog. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think either way we can assume that uh maybe he's in some ring of purgatory is uh the only explanation for why he's not here. No, of course, actually, he strolled into the airport. They caught one whiff of his vibe and were like, whatever plane this guy is getting on needs our last pilot so that he can get from Seattle to New York as we are literally canceling all of our flights. So they started canceling flights Friday. (laughs) Munia just waltzed from Seattle to New York on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Because I mean, Munia's Munia. Like, like, yeah, it's just Alaska's canny motherfucker. Yeah, Alaska Airlines' last pilot showed up to work on a whim on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and it just happened to be Munya's flight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that figures. Um, well, you know, mo- more on that later. <laughs> yeah, more on that. So we are going to talk about that. Um, you know, in other good news, some wild shit happened this week. Something everybody probably in the world knows about. And that's that um, that crazy little upstart union at uh Amazon warehouse in New York City uh won their NLRB election. Yeah, the union election. They fucking did it. They they won. I'm looking at the I mean, I'm looking at the pictures. I'm just like there's so little information right now. Like mm-hmm. we know a lot of like broad strokes. Um I'm looking at the pictures. My theory is it's cuz they're all hot. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm so uh, I've seen these celebrating people like just like high on life on their achievement and like just everybody in everyone's hot. And that's all. I mean, it's got to be that. Well, you know, I uh, me and you tried to hold a union election for this podcast, but we just kept staring at each other and be like, don't want to be in a group with that guy. And we both voted <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah exactly. got voted down. So I, I agree with your position. I mean, the main thing is, since this just happened and everybody's excited and we don't really know any details, the most important thing is to form a uh, huge take on this that defines how you approach union organizing forever. In the 21st century going forward. <laughs> In the 21st yeah. century, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the cool thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy because... A lot of things uh, happened in that organizing drive that's, let's just say, are uh, atypical of successful union organizing drives. Uh, the most notable of which, I mean, one, to organize such a large bargaining unit. I mean, I think it's 8,000 workers, uh, you know, uh, in an industry that's not organized in any way. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Usually that re- that requires like you you pick away and get footholds right, and then you try and move yeah. in, and uh, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, independently without you know any you know overriding labor organizations help, uh, and uh, finally, I mean the thing that was really interesting was a lot of times you're organizing a union. You know, one of the, like a key thing that you do is you get like commit cards from the workers, right? So yeah. you have your guys who are, you know, your sort of main leadership and organizing. They're going onto their shifts and they're getting guys to fill out cards, committing to vote yes on the union. And almost any like union will tell you, uh, like, do not have an election until you're like 80, 90% yes, mm-hmm. right? Because then the company's going to start working on you and you're going to see that number fall, you know? And so you want to get a lot of commitments early. And they only collected 30%. And uh, that, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, 70% of people like got the card and told them to fuck off. It just, I just don't yeah. think they collected, you know, yeah. went to as many people. And uh, I mean, that is, you know, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm curious. I, I, I've not seen anything that's given a, a real insider peek into how they did this. And I, I'd be excited to see. I, I think there's more than meets the eye at the moment, though. I, I yeah. Think I mean, key. this was something that was brought up. After the Bessemer election failed, was that this in under very different circumstances, this was like a larger union that was coming in with a lot of resources as an organization trying to organize a a unit. Um, and but they also made a decision to call to file for an election with the NLRB with I don't remember what the number was, but a relatively low um commit numbers yeah and, i think it was 30 percent, which is yeah i mean that's that's a risk <laughs> and it failed and i mean this was one among many things that of things that you know organizers said afterward that was like yeah you know that this that alone is pretty predictable of that you know people said that very confidently like yeah mm-hmm. you're not you know if you haven't done that work up front uh to get that because you know it's not even just it's not like a even just like a poll you know, it's not about like polling people like, hey, are you available for the union? Just getting the cards is representative of a lot of organizing work. It's a lot of conversations. It's someone at the very least having at least one direct conversation with that worker and getting them to do a thing, commit, you know, and saying that they're going to commit to vote. Like that's that is a feat of organizing. And to get uh, say, yeah, like you say, 80, 90 percent of those is a feat of major organizing that means you've got a real like um foothold at least started um and you know without that uh yeah it was you know a lot of people pointed out that it that was predictive of failure and here it has succeeded yeah, yeah and i mean by a lot of people we mean us on this show <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and you know the reason for that is you know because uh, i think people is rushed to uh, have hot takes on this i think one of the things they forget about in this idea of like oh, uh, just call it, just force a vote or whatever. I think what they're forgetting is that union organizing, when we say like going and getting commit cards, just like you said, that doesn't mean just go to some guy, hand him a card to be like, fill this out. This means developing deep roots within the bargaining unit, right? Deep roots within, with your coworkers and things like that. That means being at their house for get-togethers, like all this kind of shit, right? Yeah. Becoming part of their families and things. And uh, because that's the kind of commitment it takes because you're going to be under really intense stress and pressure put on you by the company 
for a big place like that by the town a lot of times like a lot of times you'll get city officials basically you know telling everybody like you know the union organizers are ruining the city and ruining this town right yeah. these kind of things they're gonna be put under tremendous i mean this was fucking new york city so yeah they're gonna be put know. under tremendous pressure but i mean that happened in bessemer i mean they like the yeah, in bessemer town for sure. are coming out and basically like you guys are ruining this town right yeah. that happens here in everett that happens every time that you know well back when I am used to have shit like that would happen. But yeah. um, because of that tremendous pressure, you got to have like really deep ties with your workers, right? Like the union has to have deep ties with itself, right? In order to like stand strong against it. And I guess my, when I say that, there, I think there's obviously something more going below the surface. I think those ties were made. They were just made yes. in an yes. unorthodox or, you know, whatever way, untraditional yeah, this, way. Exactly. That's that. the interesting question. Right. Ex- yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, Brian, because like I think when you say when the the wisdom comes down, you know, from people who know that like, yeah, you've got to get that like 80, 90 percent commit cards. The commit cards is a tool. It's a facility for and it's the like a shorthand. It's an, an, a teaching tool, like something to put on a checklist that it's symbolic of a lot of other shit to have done that. You say you need 80 percent commitment. And you need it written on a card because that represents to get there. You would have had to do all this other shit that I'm telling yeah. you, you have to do. You're going to have to have all these conversations with these people multiple times. You're going to have to explain it through this. You're going to have to get them to do a physical thing. And that is a method that organizers use to train other organizers and like benchmarks they use, you know, to organize. And I think that this being an independent operation that didn't come with a bunch of outside super experienced, uh, uh, labor union help i think yeah what that probably means is they i mean this would be my speculation as well yeah they were having these conversations they were reaching out to large numbers um and they felt that they had that and what they're being asked about right now is well how many commit cards did you get and maybe like when they were asked when the election was called they answered because they did a little of that, but didn't say, oh, but like we're tracking in some other way that we have actually had sit down mm-hmm. conversations with an enormous number of these people on the. But I'm but who knows? That's just a that's a, yeah. a best guess. I I mean, that's the exact thought that came to my mind um, as well. But yeah, we don't fucking know. There's no way to know. I mean, maybe they did, you know, pull, you know, just pull the fucking cord and say fuck it let's be legends and then just ran a great campaign which is much more difficult to do under the scrutiny the idea is to run that organizing campaign before the fucking hammer comes down um you know but yeah i mean who knows i i it'll be really interesting to find out over you know over the next month probably hopefully like you know with some really uh more in-depth reporting uh, to read and analysis, but anyway, it's fucking great news just for the world and America. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd like you know, it'd be nice to believe like something like this was the beginning of uh, the building of power that could, I don't know, fucking confront climate change. You know, like, well, I mean, what what else? You know, what else do we have to believe in but this? I mean, yeah, what else do you have it? besides labor power, right? And the thing yeah. is, is that. We saw with the Starbucks organizing drive, one sort of showing one chink in the armor, right, can yeah. actually, 
you know, embolden a lot of people then to act, right? And so, you know, what impact will this have at other Amazon warehouses in America? I mean, I get, well, that remains to be seen, but nobody can say you can't do it anymore. That yeah. That's always important, you know, that matters. Material conditions and, exist for organizing. Uh, America is motherfucking proletarianized. Yeah. Um, and that, well, so I that think, all, I, what people needed to see was that it's possible, you know? So, yeah. hey. And finally, I mean, it brings us down to the most important question of the whole thing, which is, uh, how do you feel about AOC? Nah, <laughs> just, gives a shit. <laughs> like, honestly, guys on Twitter, give it up, man. Like, caring this much about a fucking politician is embarrassing. Like, you should not uh, care what AOC no, does ever. Like, no fucking idea what AOC said about any of this. Yeah, yeah. And you shouldn't. Like, uh, it's, yeah, it's fucking embarrassing. You shouldn't care or pay attention to any of that shit. Who cares? <laughs> what people do in D.C. is obviously not our problem. So, like, yeah, it has nothing to do like, with us. Yeah, yeah. So, say how you feel about it has zero impact on anything happening in D.C. So, don't worry about it. <laughs> Keep your eye on the prize in front of you. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, big ups to the organizers out there in new york to those workers who like who took the plunge and fucking voted yes voted to like build power among themselves for themselves i mean that's that's it's powerful shit um now they're about to get fucking absolutely reamed uh by amazon and their lawyers over the next uh interminable period of uh contract negotiations this is this is this is going to be, this is, yeah, a very, you know, and people rightly saying, like, this might be the most important, like, labor victory since fucking, I don't know. I've seen some wild, you know, uh, analyses, like, since the 30s, you know? And, like, yeah, I, yeah like, it's fucking Amazon. It's Amazon. Yeah. It's and if it leads not only to- the behemoth that, you know, controls so much of, consumer markets but like it is the way half the fucking economy runs it's how people get half the shit they fucking buy you know it is the logistics hub you know yes the biggest company in america and if uh you know it causes other warehouses to go union or whatever then like yeah this is like the most important labor victory in god knows how long right and also means though that like the fight's not over because like this contract negotiation is gonna be a fucking nightmare mm-hmm. and, and they're then afterwards going, will be a nightmare like it'll just I mean, continue to always be a nightmare um yeah, forever uh to the yeah, end of the, time just to discourage more people from doing it you know i mean i mean the cliche is ma- right like now the work begins but like it, that's true like now yeah. the hard work is starting you know well regrettably you know the best the bessemer revote took place on the same day and it's much closer and now it's into like contested ballots um uh, it'd be incredible if that also went through it. It's, you know, um, you almost wish that they weren't on the same day, you know, like yeah, if, yeah. They, if they'd gotten the news in Bessemer that this actually went through, probably would have, uh, you know, and they had it a week later or something, they probably would have closed it easily. But, um, you know, but that's, that's the thing. Now there's going to be this honeymoon period, like where if, if people had, I don't, I don't know what the state of other, uh, organizing drives at other warehouses is but if like if there are other um 
efforts going on, this is going to be a huge boost for them right now and maybe for a honeymoon period here, but it could also be just miserably fucking dispiriting a year from now when like the whole effort has been decimated by Amazon firing everybody, changing over the fucking they can't close the fucking warehouse. It's the like one mm-hmm. warehouse in New York City. So um Yeah, yeah. But like but, yeah, yeah, you know, were like can... well, why don't they just relocate? It was very funny. Like there was some like pro Amazon people like, oh, they're just gonna close a warehouse and relocate. And it's like I mean this they, is a physical they're business. Right about like, any they Yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah, like... you know in lar- in some places they they could take that course. You know, in Bessemer they might be able to just do that eventually, you know? Um Yeah because uh it's just uh you know it's a lot more spread out there there are other facilities can take up they can you know expand at other places that could be a course of action they take over or any time over the next whenever if they do get a contract they could still be working you know to fucking close it down 10 years from now they could be like oh well i guess we don't need this uh warehouse anymore but yeah new york city that warehouse is going to be there for a bit um so yeah, land's not exactly easily available for massive uh warehouse distribution centers. Um but yeah, it's 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 a big victory and uh hey, you know, yeah, obviously, you know, the story of the labor movement is things going south, but uh we'll be optimistic for today. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. Well, well in other labor news, right? Uh the good billionaire came out uh in response to Starbucks labor organizing. We have the the return of the Schultz. Is that true, Greg? My president, Uncle Howard. <laughs> As you know, he got the patented uh, at that time. Seattle sucks bump for president. And yeah, uh, you see the result. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, he's back at it. Um, so this is funny. I don't know when this happened uh, sometime recently. Uh, they incredibly Starbucks. You know, and then we mentioned this just now in is in the middle of a wave of unionizing stores, one one uh, shop at a time. There's mm-hmm. uh, and and they've been largely successful. I think there's only been a few votes so far, but like they seem to mostly be winning um, and it's spreading. There's like hundreds now that have like filed like all over the country. Incredibly awesome shit. You know, a couple months ago we had Sydney from uh, Starbucks Workers United, who was organizing a store here in Seattle um, on the show. That's a good episode. Anyway, in all this, I guess because, you know, they're in crisis and they need to bring in the big guns. They've brought back Howard Schultz as CEO based on his performance when he was called in when that first shop in buffalo filed for an election and what they did they you know what we got he's he's still on the board he's our he's our uncle howard we're gonna bring him in and just as we reported he came into that shop and by god yes he did tell those uh baristas that working at starbucks was kind of like being deported to buchenwald um (laughs) and and, you know, based on that, just fucking A-level CEO shit, just like, I mean, that's why these people get paid so much. It's uh, <laughs> like clear insight, fans. communication <laughs> strategy. Like, that's why CEOs make a million times more than you or I. 
<laughs> that's why I see Howard Schultz, who had retired from actually uh, being the CEO, running the company, you know, and it was on somebody else's watch. Who cares who? Uh, that you know this union drive started. So, you know what? You got to bring back. You got to bring back Howard. And this is Howard's first uh, appearance before employees at a little meeting that he's planning to do many of. He's going to travel the country doing little like employee town halls. This is like what they brought him back for as CEO. Brian, you haven't heard this. I have it and I'm very excited. Take a listen. Now, here's where it gets a little sensitive because I've been coached a little bit, but I do want to... (laughs) They Talk told me what to say, pretty serious. but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to go off the script. We can't ignore to say this. what is happening in the country as it relates to... Even the person doing sign language looks uh, throughout concerned. the country being assaulted in many ways by Ooh. the threat of unionization. <laughs> our, our companies in America are being murdered. First of all, you love the, the senile motherfucker coming up here saying, like, listen, uh, uh, I, I've been coached. They, uh, they they told me what to say, but fuck them. I'm going to say what I want. In fact, they told me not to say this, or I got the distinct impression that this is what I should not say. But uh, A lawyer told me very specifically, I'm do gonna, not let this slip you out of your know, mouth, Howard. This is, he's Bidening up there. He's Brandoning. Well, even the ASL person like looked off to the edge a little bit, stopped signing and kind of looked off to the side like, Am I should I keep going? <laughs> <laughs> like looking at the gaggle of lawyers and execs going yeah. like, listen, I mean, he's the CEO. Fuck it. I don't know. They all just shrugged over there like we tried. Like he said, I mean, like he said, we coached the bastard like he's too stupid to t- say what we're going to we told him to like, that's his fucking problem. So that's funny in itself, but like, yeah, the, we gotta be serious. Like, it's getting serious out there. Companies are being assaulted by labor organizing. To be fair, I we we don't know how close to the like Will Smith Chris Rock slap this was. I mean, Howard might oh, have yeah. still he still be traumatized. Been traumatized, yeah. yeah. He might have been so deeply traumatized by seeing that act of horrific violence on TV. Um, I mean, to be fair, like if you go back to the 19th century, I mean, this is literally the argument like in you know, various Supreme Court cases <laughs> that companies would bring. <laughs> be up oh, yeah. There. Um, you know, the union is actually violence on us because we we lost a little. We lose profits, um, which causes trauma uh, that needs to be uh, recognized. But yeah, like uh, it's just funny. This is I how mean, they think. This is how the ruling we, class thinks. It's exactly how they think. And the thing is, just like the 19th century, I mean, yeah, of course, the Supreme Court judge, they go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, <laughs> so like when regular people hear that, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, Howard? <laughs> well, I, Fucking moron. I'm, I'm sure that is going to uh, whip the shock troops up into a frenzy. In his mind... Like that's the like Mongolian throat sing- like in his this he's projecting how he sees himself. Yeah. That's like the Mongolian throat singer in Dune, right? He's like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. organizing the way they yeah, uh, organizing the shock right, he's talk- or whatever. He's, yeah. This is him talking to the employees, going like, Man, you guys trying to organize? But he's like, he's trying to like divide, right? He's trying to like 
say like you, you guys in the room, most employees at Starbucks, not, you know, you guys are with us. You guys are the company, but it's these other, these outside agitators Mm -hmm. that are coming in and, and assaulting us, murdering us, uh, shooting us in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's very exciting. Uh, Let's just see how this works out for Howard, I guess. (laughs) I think that, the problem with Starbucks is I think the cult of Howard exists solely in middle management layers, right? Like, yeah, uh, people higher up in the chain deal with them. So they hate them. Uh, people too low down the chain don't know who the fuck he is or care. And uh, there's just that like little thin layer of, you know, maybe somebody who's supervising a few stores, you know, like that's mm-hmm. that's the real psycho Howard fan base. And uh, I, they don't vote in these elections, Howard. So I don't know that's going to help you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you saw how we how well he did running for president. So <laughs> I mean, he's going to bring that acumen to this to these elections. Well, it's a good thing that he dropped out of his own free will because had he got elected president, he wouldn't be able to do this. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, do you have, do, did you see, speaking of like just people fucking the ruling class losing their shit, did you see Jim Cramer on fucking, uh, whatever fucking, yeah, the Jim Cramer meltdown? He's on? He was having a stroke. Like, should we play that too? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, yeah, why not, right? It's shocking the up. man's still alive, to be honest. Well, we know that the union work rules are what everything is about. It's the same case with Starbucks, too. If you can't tell your employees when they work, and you're really not able to have much like of an a ability to be able to move products and move sounds like job of the I think the people, the unions <laughs> will be in charge of time that you need to work, and that would be dreadful. <laughs> Very dreadful for Andy Jassy. Be dreadful. And that's just a U.S. <laughs> picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. They got Europe to face. think about as well. It's like the ET problem is when he's dying. Indeed, have unionized <laughs> places. His eyes like a frog. But if you can't control the work rules. No one wants to work certain shifts. So you can just say, listen, I'm not going to work that shift. And Amazon would not be able to say, yes, you must work it. So that's what it's stake with union is, is time that you have to work. Okay, so what's great about it is, like, he actually gets it, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, he's, he's not wrong. He looks like shit. He looks like he's a non-human <laughs> alien having a stroke, like, over this shit. But he's not fucking wrong he, you know, like I think when it's talked about in the media, normally, you know, unionization unions are maybe like talked about as about wages and benefits and shit. It's control of the shop fucking floor that is ultimately the most important element to management and to capital, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this came up to in our conversation with uh, Charles, you know, which everybody should go back and listen to and especially listen to the Patreon second part. But uh, our conversation with Charles Bodede, where uh, the issue of control over the means of production is absolutely critical to the capitalist class, right? Over everything else that's concerns over profit, everything, right? Total control over the means of production. And Basically, you know, uh, what our, our boy, uh, he looks like like a like a last second Star Wars mask from 1976. That's only partially animatronic, you know, because I just threw it together. But what Some of them he's they saying, cut out. 
yeah, what he's saying is that, yeah, like this is what's at stake is, you know, uh, workers would have some sort of control over their working day. And that can never be allowed under any circumstance. As he says, that would be dreadful. You know, and it's like from a capitalist perspective of the kind of people that are watching this fucking idiot. Yeah, that would be, in fact, dreadful. Uh, He's right. He's telling he's telling all the capitalists who are watching who don't in case they don't get it. But it's like this podcast, you know, we're preaching to the choir. But, um, you know, he's just spelling it out like, yeah, like control of time on the shop floor. Control of when you work is the first step in controlling the means of production. And that's the whole fucking ballgame. That's what that's where all the profits come from. You can make a little more, a little less profit. But if people if the people doing the fucking work. You only oh, you only making the money because you control it because you fucking own it. And if it doesn't look like you own it, at some point you don't. You know, mm. well, control of the working day is a fundamental aspect of capitalism. I mean, there's a reason why I like there's a whole big ass section on it in Marxist Capital. But I mean, literally the first laws uh, passed, you know, by like you know. Uh, sheriffs in 16th century England and shit, the very earliest days of capitalism, the first laws passed are all about controlling the working day. They're all about Mm -hmm. telling workers when they have to be at work and when they're allowed to leave work, right? It's basically working day laws and maximum wage laws are the first things that they tell them. And yeah, I mean, because you know, for the capitalists, having that control gives them the flexibility to then exploit you know, to their heart's content, right? That gives them the flexibility to exploit their workforce. Taking that control away means that they don't get to fully exploit their workforce 100%, right? And they will fight that to the death, right? And, you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, the irony being, of course, no labor union in America is strong enough to actually exert any of this control that Mr. Kramer uh, is so afraid of. But uh, hell, that is the goal. It's what we want. Yeah. Well, I mean, even so, he's not wrong, you know? So, you know, back to Howard here. Another thing he apparently said that we don't have video of is, you know, part of his big plan. We'll have have something better than video very shortly of this. What is that? Oh, something we can own and have proof of ownership via the blockchain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god uh yeah so he's like hey you know <laughs> i hey, genuinely didn't know where i was going with that <laughs> <laughs> no i was like what the fuck are you talking about dude <laughs> sorry i didn't yes and that i got confused um <laughs> so apparently part of his big into whatever rambling ass fucking speech he gave that we heard that one insane snippet of he also said you know as part of his plan to win back unionizing starbucks workers quote we are going to be in the NFT business, baby. I added the baby. Um, that was that was my ad lib. Yeah, man. Yeah, Howard said Makes a, sense Howard to me, said a sure. racial slur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, and I like it too because it's totally unformed. It's it's it. In this case, this is like a, a Joe Brandon situation of. There was no plan or anything. It's just like, oh, we're getting in the NFT business. It's like, what does that mean? Why should anybody that works there care? Other than the fact that it's like, uh, get ready to lose a lot. <laughs> Whatever benefits or, you know, wages you have now, get ready to lose that as you get into the NFT business. But yeah, uh, incredible. Explaining what 
uh, to employees what NFTs were, he said, well, they're like the promise that work will set you free in that they're <laughs> uh, a hollow and meaningless lie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just incredible. And also, I mean, the funny thing is, I, I haven't seen it lately, but I remember at least a couple of weeks ago, and I mean, going back for a couple of months, people have been pointing out like the NFTs have totally tanked and that basically all the crypto nerds are moving to other scams now. Uh, so again, yeah. Howard, the forgotten man, just, uh, you know, a, a year late and a dollar short. Uh, on well, this that's one, the I thing. Think. He's been off the he's been out of the CEO chair for fucking three years or something now. And he's just got all this shit that he would like. Whatever, like whatever fucking dog shit newsletter, like digestible news fucking shit that for billionaires that he reads like all the dumb fucking pitches that have been sold to him through shit like that for the last three years while he's just sipping his coffee with nothing to do i've just been percolating in there and he's like ready to put him into action now he's back at starbucks he's like guys i i have been i have been sold on some scams and i am ready to buy into them <laughs> now that i control a major corporation <laughs> he's gonna try and get everybody in on the pyramid scheme he's currently on uh no i mean this is my question to you though greg so howard is one of our dozen billionaires local here that we're so proud of in the city we love him. and yeah do you think that howard got this idea because he just he went to the nft museum it was just wowed bowled over and was like i gotta be a part of this <laughs> i think uh yeah i think he would really enjoy that i bet he's been why not i did is that all is that also closed now i think they had that like one like opening <laughs> gala that the stranger reported from that jazz kymig uh reported on and then it just was never open again and those people probably like left town that that couple in the athleisure wear probably just like left town with a bunch of cash yeah it's it's they were literally just doing a modern version of the producers they're like, what can we make? What can we get funding for, but make it so unappealing that it'll fail on the opening night? So bad how that it's get, canceled before the curtain goes down. How can we get Howard <laughs> Schultz to sing Springtime for Hitler? <laughs> Invite him, that's how. <laughs> yeah, just put them, put the words and music in front of him. Sit him down at a piano. Howie, this is what the kids are into these days. All right. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> I just sang the chorus to Springtime for Hitler, but I'm cutting it out. It was beautiful. I had uh, 20 uh, minutes. pretzels on my tits while I did it as well. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, good luck to Howard and his new NFT uh, adventures. Yeah, uh, dude, I'm looking forward to watching him sock it out. You know, I'm not taking sides. Look, you know, union, like worker power big corporation i just want to see him fight well howard you know he's fighting the community of labor which of course you know we we're on there we're on the community of labor side we consider it our community but howard's also joined the ape community and we're all apes now and <laughs> uh you know we have our little, apes, I, so yeah. I, now i'm kind of on howard's side so this is gonna be a real tough one on the show uh listeners just have to keep listening to see how it plays out which side will we choose? <laughs> uh, this week in the Atlantic Monthly, have you ever tried to resell an ape? 
<laughs> That's going to be such an embarrassing article. Uh, that, when that finally wait. drops. Oh, my God. <clears throat> oh, man, we should put in the show notes that have you ever tried to sell a diamond article it has nothing oh, to do like, with the show, but people should read it. It's great. <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the better pieces of journalism of the 20th century. It's a classic. I used to actually link to that in my OkCupid <laughs> profile. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get a lot of responses. Hint, I'm taking it. Hint anybody. <laughs> um, OK, so, yeah. All right. So as we said, we were going to talk more about. The chaos over at Alaska Airlines. Uh, um, you, you hate to see it. You do. So, yeah, you know, I think Munya actually alerted us to this as he was like taking off in his 737 Max, which we bet, which Charles and I begged him not to board. We begged him <laughs> to change his flight. If you listen to the Patreon, you you know this is true. Um but whatever, he, you know, again, it's Munya. What's going to happen to him? Exactly. Um, but Munya, and, he, he, Munya called us from the cockpit of the plane <laughs> as they were ascending into the sky. And he was like, hey, guys, the pilots just invited me up here to get a better view. And I'm looking down and I'm seeing a lot of Alaskan planes are just stuck there on the ground, not moving at all. Uh, so I think there's something going on. And, and it turns out for sure there is. <laughs> so it turns out that. Alaska had been fucking canceling tons of flight all weekend, building to more and more. Um, just an absolute debacle. Um, and you know what? When you want to find out about local aviation stories, the aviation industry, commercial uh, air travel, you know, in the hub that is Seattle, we, you know, the home, the one, the one time home of Boeing and the current <laughs> uh, home of the uh, uh, ambitiously named Alaska Airlines, the Seattle company called Alaska Airlines. Uh, you know who you turn to? You turn to the Seattle Times and Pulitzer Prize winning aviation reporter Dominic Gates. Embarrassing. The headline. Alaska Airline cancels more flights Monday after a weekend of chaos. Wait, does this mean that the the Seattle crime wave has extended itself to the airport? Is that what it's this on is, the, Greg? Oh my God, they're shoplifting on the tarmac. <laughs> they're taking the 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 Sky Chef meals right out of their fucking fri little uh, rolly fridges. It's horrible. There, I hate to there, see it. There's there's fucking like uh, hobo clowns running away with the drink carts, like just down the <laughs> runway, like off into the often <laughs> off the cliff. They're riding them down the cliff onto the 509. Yeah, it's just like that. Intro, it's or, like the intro scenes to Batman Returns, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, so this is by Dominic Gates, our hero and uh, Nina Shapiro. As of 11 a.m., Alaska Airlines has canceled 40 more flights Monday, affecting nearly 6,000 passengers with additional cancellations possible. Alaska spokesperson Alexa Rudin said two of those cancellations were due to mechanical issues, while the, while the rest were caused by staffing shortages. Interesting. I, mean, I, I feel like at this point, though, as a reporter who's on the Boeing beat, uh, when they say that they were caused by mechanical issues, you should, have, you should at least ask to follow up on that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 right. Um, 
As a pilot shortage continues to impact the air carrier's business, the cancellations included 27 flights arriving at or departing from Seattle-Tacoma International Airport on Monday, blah, blah, blah. In addition, uh, okay, they canceled a bunch more flights. Horizon, their uh, subsidiary, also canceled flights. Um, Stranded passengers across the country continued to be frustrated by an inability to reach Alaska customer support. I just want to take a minute to reiterate that Dominic Gates is the Pulitzer Prize winning aviation reporter, the one who covered, who's covered Boeing for like forever, who wrote for the Seattle Times about the 737 MAX crashes, who, you know, we also have talked now with Charles Mudede multiple occasions on this podcast, and Charles has written about the fact that this son of a bitch has never once written about the financialization of Boeing, the changing, you know, uh, corporate priorities, the stock buybacks in the lead up to those crashes. Um, a total, a two like travesty of journalism on his one beat. And, you know, we've always, when we've talked about this before, we've always said like, yeah, he, he sucks. He's stupid. He's doing, he's carrying like capital's bag for them. He he's, his sees his job as being a booster to Boeing until they absolutely royally fuck up and he has to write something about it that <laughs> like wins him a Pulitzer Prize while still not really getting into the actual systematic causes of it. Um, because like that's what he won the prize for, for still not talking about the financialization. <laughs> a good job, buddy. Um, you d- you did your work. But like I think what we're gonna learn today is like. His path, particular pathology goes beyond that because, like, we're going to find out what he really thinks his job is. Um, I, I already know what he thinks his job is. It's a 90s stand-up comedian, right? He's like, oh, what's the deal with these customer service people? <laughs> you know, that's the story. I mean, listen, listeners, uh, when you hear the details of the story and how it unfolds, imagine how insane you'd have to be as a writer to have all this and basically be like, What's my angle? Ah, uh, customer service. It can be annoying sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> that's my okay. end. <laughs> the, we're about to get a deluge of hard hitting, like A level reporting from a master on the bad consumer experience of Alaska Airlines. <laughs> so again, like uh, as I said, customer support. No one can reach it. Scott Henderson, along with his wife and two small children flew to Raleigh, North Carolina last week for a wedding and was scheduled to fly back to Seattle Tuesday on a flight that got canceled Sunday. Ooh, lots of I important details. I am fucking details, riveted thanks. about this. <laughs> like, when, when they cancel flights, people can't fly, right? Like, we get it, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. okay, all right, one paragraph for slice of life just to drive it home. Like, this affects real human beings. Uh, in their consumer air travel experience. What I, I, what, what, I do was like this to, another paragraph? Well, if I could just go back to that paragraph too. I mean, one of my favorite things about it is the like, they were supposed to fly back Tuesday. The flight was canceled Sunday. Oh, it's, it's like, look, when you're writing an article, establishing timelines and stuff is important. Is important. It's, it's, it's yeah, important for when it complicated, important <laughs> issues, yeah. not for a guy got his when? flight canceled. You can, did the yeah, president you can literally know just... <laughs> what did the president know and when did he know it? Okay, like, <laughs> exactly, what's the like, fucking timeline? 
Yeah. This is a guy got his flight canceled. You don't need to do that. This is a universe because our one, because our air traffic system sucks so fucking bad in the way we like with the way we allow airlines to run this shit. Everyone is very familiar with the concept of flights being canceled. You can just put, uh, yeah, this guy's supposed to fly back on Sunday or this guy's supposed to fly back from a wedding. His flight got canceled. This is how many people were affected. Yeah, done. That's yeah, a that's done. a legitimate story. That's a legitimate no. detail, and for a local paper to cover like the local airline, like this is happening. But like, okay, we're we haven't even started. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm even going to get through all this, but I have to get through enough of it to to impress upon you how much of this article is this. Quote: Anyone who calls Alaska, including us and some of our family who are here gets a recording saying you can expect a 10-hour wait time to talk to somebody, Henderson said via email. When you go to alaskaair.com and try to change your flight, it tells you nothing is available currently and you should try calling them. Quite the vicious cycle, unquote. (laughs) Who are the real victims? Oh my God. With no contact from Alaska, Henderson had to spend some money on an additional car rental extend his stay on the East Coast, and then book a new flight home via United. Quote, So far, we are well over $3,000 into new expenses for this. Sounds like you could afford it. Uh, yeah. So, so you weren't I, just but, sleeping but, in the airport? Yeah, say, if that happens to, like, most of us, uh, we, we just live in Raleigh Start now. walking home? Yeah, like, <laughs> we're just, like, Raleigh residents. Start looking for an apartment? Yeah, I mean, probably Greg's costs like, slightly less. Greg is like looking at a map at the airport to see if there's a water, a body of water nearby. The <laughs> Chesapeake? Yeah, boat, I think you know? I can find a sailboat in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, 3000 in expenses. Alaska has dropped us flat. We have no idea if we're going to get any kind of compensation from them. We don't even know how to find out. Alaska's <laughs> Rudin, this is the PR person, said the airline's mm-hmm. policy is that for a crew-related cancellation where a passenger needs to spend the night, quote, they are eligible to be reimbursed for reasonable expenses, including hotel, food, and transportation. And for a crew-related cancellation that results in the passenger canceling their trip, they would be eligible for an airfare refund. This is so beautiful, because what the Seattle Times has chosen to be in this moment, in this moment when the local airline, Alaska, is not only are their flights like falling apart they're canceling they're leaving people stranded their their plans fucked up they can't answer their fucking phones they <laughs> they have no customer service like system available to do this even their website is fucked and can't like set them up with anything is able to call and the and the and you can't so basically mr scott here and all these thousands of other uh, would be alaska passengers can't get through to the manager they are all desperate yep. to speak to the fucking manager of alaska airlines and they can't do it the manager's not answering they're calling <laughs> there's no manager to talk to they're looking at the website there's a manager so the seattle <laughs> times and pulitzer prize winner dominic gates is stepping in to be the go-between the they are the customer service line of last resort. Like as the venerable <laughs> institution of the fourth estate, they are stepping up going like, look, obviously the system is falling apart here. That's what we are. We are a communication system to the public. So we're, we, they, not everyone can get through to the PR flack, Alaska, this rudent person that's being quoted 
but we can. And you know what? We can ask the questions. We can ask what their policies on reimbursement are, and we can tell the people and get that message out so they can rest a little easy knowing that they've at least heard from the manager. <laughs> that's that's what we're reading here right now. Well, I, oh, I think God. with uh, newspapers failing across the country, Dominic's just looking out for himself and trying to find a little side gig here as <laughs> alternative customer support for Alaska Airlines. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. Kind, of, kind of the funny part about this is, I mean, yeah, like, look, you know, if, you, if you're Scott here, uh, yeah, this sucks, you know, like, it, it blows. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is, is there's been many times because because this is not an uncommon practice for airlines to just throw passengers off of planes and things like yeah. that. There's been a lot of times that people have proposed things like legislation to where the airline would have to pay significant penalties to the passenger for doing this to get the airlines to fucking stop doing it. But because, you know, we live in a klepto state, like you can't do any of that because Delta just I mean, literally Delta like controls are are the CDC, like the airline yeah. industry, like controls the fucking CDC. So, yeah, forget passing anything in Congress the, or whatever. The FAA. But, but yeah, like, I mean, it's uh, it's incredible. So. Oh, you mean the CDC? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like with the the um, COVID restrictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, like like Delta and other various airlines literally decided when we would end the mask mandate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like no, they, they literally like put out a press release and then it happened the next day or something. I, I don't. Yeah, that was last month. Yeah, uh, we talked but about. Yeah. It. So, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's you know, so I mean, there is like I guess if you wanted to have some fucking story about this, I guess you could write about the many efforts that have been made to try and like do something to stop airlines from these practices um but you know obviously Dominic's not interested in that either <laughs> yeah okay so now i skip i'm gonna skip a bit here of more of this bullshit to where finally we get into some meat fucking like not even if you were reading this on paper it wouldn't you'd have turned you'd have had to find the continuation page by now okay in this article <laughs> to where we get to the first actual meat in here other look it's a legitimate story to say like Hey, all these flights are being canceled. But any fucking announce, any like questions asked and answered, like about why this is going on. Finally, every US airline is facing the impacts of a national pilot shortage brought on by reductions in staffing during the pandemic <laughs> and a quicker than expected rebound in air travel this year. So, yeah, the the airlines have shot themselves in the dick. Um, Alaska included by like everyone did because our yeah uh our country sucks and doesn't function and capitalism you know uh would like to see us all die they laid off everybody and now yeah. are just like the fucking restaurateurs in this town and every other fucking business and every other shithead who's complaining like people don't want to work anymore the airlines told their pilots to go screw during the pandemic go fuck yourself yeah and now they're like, oh, we can't we don't have enough pilots back because some of them fucking moved on with their fucking lives. Um, and, well, and I think uh, and the, then uh, the hilarious. Uh, than yeah. Oh, say hilarious. We're going to find out uh, maybe opened up some options for said pilots. But yes. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing that we've brought up on the show over and over again, which is, you know, there was lots of ways to handle like pandemic restrictions and lockdowns and stuff. Uh, they could have just paid companies to keep all their employees on retainer 
right? Yeah. Full wages and benefits throughout the whole thing. And that way, when stuff was ready to open back up again, everybody, you know, you don't you have minimum disruption to the, you know, workings of the economy. People can just go back to their original jobs. But that's not how we chose to do it, because that's how shit works in America. The idea from companies is, no, the second I don't need you, fuck off. But also, you need to be waiting at the phone for my back and call to tell you to come back, right? Yeah. And it turns you out that... You have your skills, like, still sharp, your, yeah. your fucking... Um, your training hours, your whatever, your certifications still valid. You still need to be a labor resource I can call on at any time, despite having not been supported by the industry that you serve for a year or whatever, yeah. you know? And the fact that I just told you to fuck off. Like, you should be, I mean, really yeah. what they want to say is you should be legally obligated and forced to come back and work for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it exactly, man. That's it's yeah. like what Jim Kramer was talking about. That's how they. That's how they see it and how they want it. Now, but this is key. Also, uh, okay, brought on by staffing reductions, pandemic, whatever, and a quicker than expected rebound in air travel this year. This is Dominic Gates and his co-writer, like, explaining this to us. This is their them asserting a quicker than expected rebound. As we said, the airlines basically decided when the pandemic was over. But more than that, they scheduled these flights. Yeah. They schedule. This isn't a case of more it's a spontaneous demand. business. Well, it's not like it's like people coming in and demanding a bunch of hamburgers from you at your hamburger stand, and you're sitting there going like, no. "Who could have known this many people would want hamburgers?" No, they sold you these flights, the flights months ago. <laughs> they scheduled them on based on what they thought the business was going to be, and now they just don't have the pilots. So that part that's just bullshit. Actually, later in the article, the motherfuckers quote. Uh, someone saying exactly that. But here, in the first part of any actual substance in the article, he's asserting this bullshit that doesn't make any sense. However, Alaska has been hit worse than most, with pilots now so in demand they can choose where to work more easily. Alaska currently in a increasingly bitter standoff with the union representing its pilots over a new contract has lost dozens of pilots this year to other major U.S. carriers. Ah, so <laughs> in addition to having laid people off, they've also, uh, it's also a shitty place to work and people are like bailing, pilots are bailing when they mm -hmm. can. Um, well, part of that because they don't have a fucking contract. Yeah, they don't have a contract and it also means that Alaska's trying to lowball the contract or, yeah. you know, force more hours and all this kind of stuff. And the well, thing we're is, find is out more that, about that. Yeah, and... I, again, I mean, this is the funny thing, right? Is I, this is how American capitalism works? Is companies can, you know, just at their own leisure tell you to fuck off and go away. But yes, you are expected to come back to them, right? Exactly the same. And Alaska's all of a sudden realized they're like, oh no, uh, our pilots actually are going to the marketplace as well, <laughs> or something, you know? And I mean. It would just be very funny if the end result of this pandemic was we returned America to some sort of uh, legal, like forced indenture, you know, for, yeah. like skilled workers. <laughs> you know? No, like, like they want to be able to call the police and be like, hey, I need a person to do this job today. This is one of the people on my roster who I laid off or who just walked off the mm -hmm. other day. Go get them and, and put them in this pilot seat, you know, and every other job too which there were some stories i can't remember the details but there were some stories during the pandemic of some hospitals that actually were doing that 
that with yes. like nurses and doctors. They're basically like, no, you will be like, I, I will put you in jail if you don't work here. <laughs> yeah. And getting in court injunctions against them, yeah. preventing them from taking other jobs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. So, I mean, Alaska should pursue that angle. I mean, yeah, why not? I think that's the future you know, of American labor in a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 God damn it. Uh, well, that's why we need this 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 wave of uh, unionization needs to keep up. Okay, so we're we're into the meat now. We've gotten past the you know uh, consumer experience, customer service complaints. Okay, skipping ahead, new uh, subhead, impossible to reach customer service. Oh, okay. That was just a little low. We have to shove some kind of meat in there somewhere. Uh, now we're back. However, those desperate for support by phone were out of luck. Alaska is short-staffed throughout its operation with shortages of not only pilots, but also flight attendants and call center representatives. When 90-year-old Dorothy Case called Alaska's customer service line Saturday, a recorded message told her to expect a hold time of more than 10 hours. Anxious about her schedule, flight from Tucson, Arizona, blah, 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 blah. We really need to know so we can plan. <laughs> Kelly Pollock, with her family on a spring break trip to Disneyland, heard the same dispiriting 10-hour hold message when she called customer service at 5.30 a.m., blah, blah, blah. <laughs> After repeatedly calling, uh, she eventually got through Alaska's reservation line. The airline was able to put her husband, who needed to get back for work on a flight, Blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, then, oh, they had to take some other flight. They had they were stuck in a 34-hour delay in LAX. Uh, they fuck, It just goes on and on and on. Think of all the extra grooming Disney got to do to those kids because of Alaska. It's a shame. Oh, oh my God. Um, I don't think I'll be flying Alaska again, Pollock said. <laughs> so this, so they are fulfilling. So, so... It's a two way the the uh, consumer to manager like uh, communication hub, emergency communication hub that the Seattle Times has set up here is a two way line like they're mm. getting management's like information out. But they're also taking and transmitting messages directly from the consumer to management. Um, and that's what everybody wants. Right. Well, and, Seattle you know, articles are now Yelp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, for for all the other stranded people reading this, at least they can see themselves in um, uh, Ms. Pollock here, Kelly Pollock. You know, they can hear her words and think, well, you know what? Alaska Airlines is hearing that and they know it's coming from me, too. I don't think I'll be flying Alaska again. So mission accomplished, I, Dominic Gates. Um, but for Alaska, though, I mean, that's not a definitive statement. So you, you haven't you you haven't necessarily lost a customer, Alaska. There, there was some little uh, wiggle room left open there. Uh, so <laughs> like she's okay, going to fly what's convenient in the future. Let's be serious. These people don't have it in them to do anything else. Yeah, they probably all have, all have miles with Alaska anyway. So a uh, new sub here. Management at odds with pilots. OK, finally, we're going to at the very end here. We're going to get the real shit. An internal Alaska Air memo Friday indicated the reasons for the chaos. Well, shit, Dom, <laughs> I might have led with this. The actual <laughs> reporting you did, the internal documentation describing like why this is happening might have actually been the goddamn news story, you son of a bitch. <laughs> to quote, 
Our operational performance today was below the level many of ex- expect of us, Captain John Lander, Alaska's Vice President of Flight Operations, wrote in a Friday email to pilots. The primary driver for our performance right now is the shortage of pilots we have available to fly versus what was planned when we built our April schedule in January. So here's a quote from an internal Alaska document from a vice president describing the obvious state of affairs that you understand because you know how air travel works, that this was planned out in advance. And yet up earlier in the article, uh, Gates is claiming that one of the reasons is that there this is due to more uh, demand than they expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're claiming that there was more demand, etc. But the thing is, like, all airline bullshit from making planes to operating you know these various airlines is all built out very far in advance and the thing is yeah. you know whether you're going to have pilots more than a day in advance <laughs> like, yeah. like the, the, you know this this is insane the, again i mean this comes back to the idea that the air the, the reason why the airlines create these situations like this is because they can because they always get away with it and you know i mean that might if you wanted to cover this fucking customer service side of it, which God, why would you want to? But if you wanted to, like, why is that not part of the story? <laughs> to be like, wow, maybe uh, a lifetime of never disciplining these airlines for anything has resulted in a chaotic system where they just fuck people over repeatedly from their customers to their employees uh, with complete, you know, complete feeling that nothing can be done to them, right? Because apparently nothing can. <laughs> I mean, impunity, like, of these airlines, they can't even fucking go bankrupt. They get fucking bailed out. Like, look, I mean, we're talking about an industry that's literally over the long term never made a dime. um, And yet somehow a lot of people have gotten really rich on it. Well, it shouldn't exist. Most countries' airlines are state run. Like, because it's not a yeah. profitable industry and there's numerous important safety issues involved in it that, uh, you know, are, that don't work well with the profit making model. And it's like, and uh, just get rid of them. And like, because a lot of travel that happens by air in this country could better happen by train in those other countries, too. And then you have a, a small, a single state run airline that well, handles the, the what is, you know, actually a, an efficient use of air travel. Um, okay, well, yeah, so, I mean, if the state ran all transit, you could actually try and rationalize your transit system. Yeah. Uh, Lardner cited the level of attrition as a major factor and said Alaska was offering 150% pay to pilots willing to pick up the extra flights. The airline's management has been locked in contract negotiations. This is the third to last paragraph. Has been locked <laughs> in contract negotiations with the Airline Pilots Association Union for three years. Hundreds of Alaska pilots picketed Friday near SeaTac Airport and at the airline's other hubs on the West Coast. That's a fucking story. Hundreds of pilots mm-hmm. were out picketing <laughs> their fucking headquarters at and in multiple hubs of this airline. That's the fucking story. Okay. <laughs> but no, you can't like this has to be buried at the very end that no one reads to because it's a fucking labor story uh airline pilots association has warned the company repeatedly that alaska's situation is particularly acute in a message to members 
Friday night, the union's executive council said pilots had been stretched to their limit for months and the current cancellations were predictable. Pilot staff, to quote, pilot staffing for April is low, the message read. All of you saw it coming. (laughs) And it's like, that's the actual story. I mean... Uh, what I love you, it you too. You see how he felt, you know, the need to put it in there, but it's like again, it's at the end of the fuck. That's the lead, man. What well, hilarious! Hundreds th- of pilots picketing, causing shutdowns because of a three-year delay in contract negotiations. That's the headline. That's the fucking lead. Well, it's very funny to write. I mean, it's a pretty long story to write this enormous story. Yeah, where you want to go with this customer service angle and talk about all the trouble of these cancellations. The entire story, the messages. Who could have seen this coming until you get to literally the very last paragraph where a major player in the story is like, oh, yeah, you could have seen this coming for years. Everybody saw it coming. <laughs> it's like, how's it the last fucking paragraph? Other than the fact that a labor representative said it and, you know, like you you literally just can't take their side on anything. Right. And well, be look, a Seattle Times reporter. It's incredible. Know- you know, he, this is a skilled reporter. This is what you get the Pulitzer Prize for, because like by putting it at the end here and just ending the thing on here, like, you know, it gives it a poetic weight. You know, all of you saw it coming, but no one's fucking reading it, which he also knows. Yep. yep. Um, God, motherfucker. Like you get bored by all the fucking customer service stories before you'd ever get this far in the fucking thing. Yeah, of course. Oh. And it's it's dog shit. It's just dog shit, right? <laughs> well. Thanks for that one, Dominic. Thanks for a new one. Yeah, Dominic Gates, if you're listening, please check out our uh, other episodes where we talk about you with Charles Mudede, where we talk about Boeing and the 737 MAX crashes. Um, I think you'll enjoy them. Yeah. Uh, incredible. Well, my heart bleeds for the poor people uh, trying to reach customer service right now. Uh, hopefully we can secure some federal aid for them. <laughs> uh, maybe fi- create some refugee camps and uh, Raleigh. No, or, the, Alaska needs a bail and Alaska needs the National Guard to come in and start answering those phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, look, people in Washington are doing their best. Uh, Matt Shea is currently down in uh, L.A. picking up that woman's two kids, <laughs> freaking him back home with them. <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. you know, just collecting children around the country who've been turned into refugees by them. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's all very heartening. Right on. Uh, well, thanks, everybody. Uh, this week on the Patreon, the the bonus content for subscribers, I went today. I had to go to, I went to multiple stores. I walked to my grocery store, and then I had to get my car to go find this, uh, new seattle magazine i got very confused thinking this was like a troll that carmen best had been punked thinking she was on the cover because i looked at like their website and like the things that come up are from from like may 2021 on (laughs) seattle magazine's website magazine's website this appears nowhere um their twitter feed is also outdated uh apparently it's a real magazine i think it did go through maybe this is their first issue back or something because they went away for a while i don't there was some kind of like one of these fucking magazines or two of them like folded during the pandemic uh, i don't know mm-hmm. so maybe it was seattle met that went away i don't fucking know anyway carmen best on the cover you know we love carmen best we're big fans here um got a just a sizzling interview 
uh, to talk about. So, you know what? That's just some good old-fashioned Seattle yeah. Sucks content that I think you're going to love. It's an interview too hot for the free feed. So that's right. make sure that's to right. join the Patreon. Come check it out for the mere price of a Starbucks latte, uh, $5 a month. You could listen to this wonderful article. Think yeah, of all the um, things she's going to reveal. All the skeletons in her closet are coming out. That's less than the price of this magazine, which your Patreon dollars bought for eight ninety nine. Well, and hold on, be clear, you guys, you have to co- come to the show and listen to this. Okay, you cannot buy this magazine. Greg bought all of them. We took all the Patreon money. We bought the entire print run. So if mm-hmm. you want to hear this article, it's not online. It's not on the the webs the the magazine itself appears to not be online. Uh, so you have to come to the Patreon to hear it, all right? So that's our pitch to you. Uh, we have exclusive content right here. Uh, make sure you come check it out, along with, I mean, what, at this point, several hundred other bonus episodes only available on Patreon. Uh, you can hear uh, me and Chewy reveal all our hottest uh, music takes and which canceled artists we like best. You can hear... The uh, rest of our interview with Charles Udede, where we talk about, uh, we go into the rest of the horrible Boeing saga. Um, like I said, oh, you can hear our Batman review. For those of you who haven't already forgotten about the fact that a new Batman movie came out. So go to Patreon, check it out. We'll see you there. Join the Discord, etc., etc. Yeah, and of course, uh, you should already be checking out uh, Ending the Myth, Ryan Munya's. Uh, American Odyssey. Yeah, it's pretty great. Okay, bye everybody.